You guys hear me? Oh, there we go. It's incredible to watch someone. For me, um, as someone who isn't necessarily the fastest runner, uh, I never participated in track and field. I am impressed. I married into a family who loves track and field, so I've learned like how incredible it is. Even to watch a human being run that fast is incredible. And the Olympics are coming up. Um, they got postponed till this year. And so we're in our house. We've been starting to get excited about that, watching videos. And for our, with our girls, we love watching uh, uh, these videos. And especially, um, I grew up uh, seeing videos of Flojo. And I remember Florence Griffith, she like is un- unbelievable. Still holds records. And uh, this, uh, Allison Felix is incredible. She's um kind of embodies the themes that our passage today in Hebrews talks about. And we've been watching videos. And I thought, oh, I just can't get enough watching these videos of her run. She has won uh, the most medals of any female in track and field. And if she wins two medals this year, uh, she will have the most medals of any athlete uh, for the U.S. in track and field, which is an incredible feat if you think of all the people who have run in track and field. And not only is she this incredible runner, uh, she's run in four Olympics, but after four Olympics, she had a child uh, here. This is Cameron. And she then trained to be in the Olympics again. So like, we're gonna, uh, what a day to celebrate moms and a mom who is going to compete in the Olympics. It's really incredible. And so today in our uh, study of Hebrews, as we've been in the book of Hebrews, we're getting towards the end of it. And it's going to bring up a passage maybe you've heard if you've uh, ever looked at the Bible or if you've ever even looked at like, um, you know, like Bible passages that people have written on their walls. This is a classic one about running. And so well, uh, I thought she, she really embodies this idea of a parent and running all comes together today in this passage in Hebrews. So if you have a Bible and you like to open it up and read or take notes, we're in the uh, book of Hebrews, which is kind of the end of the Bible. Uh, and we're in chapter 12 of that. So if you want to open it up, otherwise we'll have all the passages right here on the screen. Today, we're going to look at this idea of running a race well uh, and also what, what parenting looks like, which seems like they might not go together and, it, and the, the author of Hebrews uses them really well together. Uh, we've come out of chapter 11, uh, where chapter 11 was this long list of all of these people who have kind of been heroes in our faith and that the author of Hebrews is trying to encourage us. These are people who like rested in their faith in Christ. They put their faith in who God was, not just in their works. And so Hebrews 11 starts out, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. It says, remember that all these people in our faith family, they're commended not necessarily for what they did, but who they put their faith in. And then it lists all these people. If you haven't uh, read that in a while, it's, it's really great to read through all of these people. And then at the end of 11, it says, these were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what they had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us, they'd be made perfect. So it's saying these people had faith in something that was coming, a Messiah that was coming, uh, that they didn't even get to see. And we get the benefit of having seen seen Jesus. I don't, we didn't actually, we didn't get to see him in person, but we see the cross, right? We get to see him come and die and rise. And they see that that, that pinnacle, we see the culmination of ages we've heard earlier in Hebrews, this moment in time that changes everything, that he comes and sacrifices himself. So that's where we're coming from because in Hebrews 12, it says, therefore. So it's good to know what came before. Therefore, because of that, and then it gives this amazing picture to us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Can you hear, can you uh, picture those, all those uh, ancients, those ancestors in our faith, the family of faith in the stands, this great cloud of witnesses? Because we're surrounded by them, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, those things that hold us back and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let's throw those things off and let's run, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. In some translation says the author, the, the beginner, the creator and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition for sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. So we start here with an opportunity, a, a picture of actually uh, a really popular thing at the time. So when this would have been written, running would have been maybe the most popular athletic competition. So if, if you're someone who's like, I don't want to hear a sports analogy, it's not my fault this week. It's the author of Hebrews' fault. <laughs> you can blame them. <laughs> He's saying, everyone knows this, right? Everyone knows, can picture a great runner and this stadium of people and them running on these long runs and these people at the end cheering them on. Those runners actually in those times would do all sorts of preparations in order to get themselves to a place they were fit and trained, but also they would make sure that they weren't being um, held back by anything. And so this passage, actually this wording in here is similar to some of the training, uh, the, the language that was spoken when training athletes at the time. They would have said, make sure you'll lose as much weight as you can so that your muscle and you're strong, but not weight that's gonna hold you back when you're running. So this language is, is similar to that. It's also, uh, at the time, it was very common for people to actually shed all of their clothes off, which is not, not something we do now, right? In the Olympics, we hopefully will not see that, but um, that's something that was happening because they didn't even want anything, even a, a piece of clothing, and even the kind of clothing they've been wearing, right? Would have been different to run with, like in a robe. It would have been hard to run <laughs> in a race in a robe. So if you picture that, they're, they're taking everything off and they're making sure they've shed the pounds so that they're in a place where they can run a long race. They can endure that long race. So it's saying, let's, let's as the crowd surrounds us, as we look to Jesus for having done the work, let's persevere. Let's keep our eyes on him. Let's look to the end. And there's Jesus because he's the one who has already run the race. In fact, he created the paths. It'd be like they dropped us off in a city to run a race and they just said, go. And you said, what, what? We all just run in different directions down alleys and roads and we all decide when it ends and where it ends. I say, no, no, no. Jesus has has marked a path out for us. He's shown us when to turn and where to go. And we follow him and look to him because he's already won the race. And now we just, we, we just look at him and consider him. And as we've heard in Hebrews over and over, and probably the people that Hebrews has written to are, are suffering, they're hurting. We heard earlier in Hebrews, they might even have their property taken from them. They've watched people suffer. Uh, the author knows, yeah, this race isn't easy. It's not like you're, it's just a fun uh, jog, I don't even know if jog is fun. I would say not fun. Even like a fast walk sometimes isn't fun for me. But a, they're saying, it's gonna hurt. It's gonna be hard, but we gotta keep our focus on Jesus. He's won the race. He's shown us where to go. And then even consider him because he also endured the suffering, the opposition. And the author wants us to ultimately not grow weary and lose heart. He wants us to not turn off into an alley. He wants us not to take a break at one of those tables with all the water and then decide like, I'll just stay here. He wants us to not say, maybe I'll make a different, I think the race actually was supposed to go this way. I think it's supposed to finish right now. 
He's saying, keep your eyes on Jesus. He's done this. He knows. He knows your pain. He knows the suffering. And so I think um, as I read this, I have this, this, this overwhelming sense of uh, the book of Hebrews has over and over said, Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. He's so good. He's so good. I know you're suffering now, but look ahead to the goodness. Look ahead to the hope that is this great city, this great time when God will make all things sad come untrue, when things will be made right. And there's part of me that also says, okay, so I just hang out and suffer now. I just hang out. Is there not a purpose? Can God who creates the universe not even make like current suffering valuable? And so, so this is where he gives us a purpose. Remember, we're in this vision of we're running this race to this great end. We know at the finish, there's a time and a place where Jesus makes all things good and right. The brokenness, the suffering is gone, but right now we're suffering. And so the author goes on as, as he says, this crowd, uh, this group of witnesses is cheering you on. You're suffering, you're feeling that but there's a purpose for your current suffering. We're not just saying, hey, just, just kind of deal with it and someday it'll be done. Can you just hold on until it's done? He's gonna remind us there's actually a, uh, God has actually designed a helpful thing in, in our suffering. So he switches gears a little bit. He's gonna start talking about our suffering and God as our father, but I think it's still in the same context of us thinking about what does it look like to run this race well, and so he continues on in Hebrews 12. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have not completely forgotten his word of encouragement that addresses you. And, you, and have you completely forgotten his word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son, his child? It says this, this is from Proverbs 3. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. This word also actually means training, uh, not punishment, but training. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines or trains the ones he loves. He chastens everyone who accepts as he, uh, that he accepts as his son. Endure the hardship as discipline or training. God is treating you as his child. For what child, for what child are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. So he's saying, hey, I know you're suffering. And when we suffer, I think there's a few things. I, I'll personally, a few things I do. I look inward. I look at Drew and I say, oh, Drew, this is so terrible. What a rough day you're having. And then I think, what do you, you deserve something to like ease this. You deserve something. T turn off a different direction and st stop at this place and enjoy this thing because you don't deserve this suffering. Or, or I look up at God and I say, God, how dare you make me suffer? You're terrible. You're, you're, how could you be a father who makes me suffer? And I forget that because I'm a, a child of God and, and God is a good God, he's gonna actually train me. He's gonna discipline me. He's, he's gonna want to, to help me as a child become someone who can run and finish that race. It goes on, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. The first time I ever read that verse, I was, in a, I was a new believer and I was in a Bible study and someone said, yeah, remember guys how our human fathers disciplined us and we respected them? And I was like, no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember as a kid feeling like, dad, I respect you more for disciplining me. I get, you see though what the author's getting? He's saying, there was something we respected about our parent uh, maybe later 
as we understood that they were doing what was good for us. How much more should we submit to the Father of, of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought were best, but God disciplines or trains us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. God isn't, isn't just punishing us. He's not angry dad who says, oh, you did it again. You're so annoying. I came home. I'm tired. I've worked hard. I created a world. I kept everything going. I make your heart beat all day. And then you come to me with this stuff. Go shovel a hole somewhere and then fill it back in, <laughs> right? Classic dad punishment. This isn't, this isn't a punishment. This is a discipline in, in a way that, and maybe digging a hole and, and filling in it is a way to trade you. Um, but we have a father, a heavenly father who's perfect, who knows our hearts and knows what we need so that we can be trained and be strong and healthy and, and in a place where we keep looking to Jesus and keep running that race because he wants us to finish the race. He wants us to cross that line and be with him forever. We have this amazing Father. And so this part of the passage is saying, we, we hear first, run the race, and it says, and remember this discipline, this suffering you're, you're having um, could be a part of this, this, this training God is giving you. And it ultimately reminds us of the thing that is so quick for me to forget very quickly in life is that I am a child of God. The author saying, don't forget one of the most important things that is true about you. In Christ, you're a child of God. That changes so many things. So I want to just list a few things that, that changes for us. Even think of these as someone who's training to run this race. Think of the way this changes how you continue on as you know the truth of being a child of God. One of my favorite verses, as we're thinking of what it looks like to be a spiritual orphan family list and then having a forever family. One of my favorite verses, um, a favorite verse in our house, at least with me, um, is Ephesians uh, 1, 3 through 6. So this is a reminder of, of who God calls us to be. Praise be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, this isn't just like he chose you because you're really good at running, right? He chose you before you were created to say, I want you in my family. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship, to, to be his children through Christ. He says, I, I know you're an orphan. You, you don't have a family, but I want you. I, I want to pull you into my family in accordance with his pleasure and will. This verse had me uh, on my knees one day because I was not believing, or I was thinking, I was seeing God as like a father who says, yeah, I guess I'll take you. I was seeing it as like, okay, if I got to have this group of people, I guess if Drew's in there, I'll take him. Not my first choice. And then I was rereading this and I saw in accordance with his pleasure and will, he, he takes pleasure in adopting us. Not just he had to, okay, I'm, I'm nice and I'm good, I'm loving, I'm God, so I guess I should adopt you. He says, I want you. I take joy in that. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. If we just woke up and read this passage every day and believed half of this passage, it would change our day. It would change how we run. It would change who we're running to. 
It would change how when we're feeling broken and hurting and pain and our, our legs hurt, and we think we just can't go on if I remember, oh, through Christ, these incredible things are given me as a child of God. And here's a, just a, a short list of just a start of what it looks like to be an orphan to a child of God. Uh, an orphan might feel unlovable. And God says, it's, it's not possible because you are loved and you know that you're loved. No matter what circumstance you're in, no matter how hard the race is going, you're loved. An orphan might need to be right to prove themselves, to maybe prove so that someone will want them or to prove that they can do it on their own. The child of God says it's okay not to be right. Just, just this one is enough conviction for me, right? I can be like, let's go home. That's enough for me. I don't have to be right. A child of God does not have to be right because God is right and good. I don't have to worry about failure. I can even take risks because I know my father still has me. He's not letting me go. There's nothing that will separate me from him. As an orphan, prayer can be a last resort. I don't, I don't see a family around me or a God who, who cares. And so I'll do everything I can on my own. I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps because I can do it. And then eventually I, I realize I can't. And maybe then I'll say, okay, God, if you're there, if you have time. But as a child of God, prayer often is, is my first resort. I say, God, I need you. My good father, I want to go to you because I know you're there to love me and you're there for my good. As an orphan, I might try to fix everything. I'm on my own. I can do this. And I can try to fix everyone. As a child of God, I know that my father fixes everyone. As an orphan, I may feel discontent. And there's this great, deep contentment that comes with being a child of God. As an orphan, maybe the goal could be comfort. I run from suffering. Suffering could be viewed as, uh, oh, this must be wrong if I'm suffering in it or if God's training me in this. But as I become a child of God, I know I can actually suffer I, I see that as different. I see this discipline from God. I see this training from God. I also see a vision of something in the future where that is, doesn't exist. I have a hope in a future that I didn't have when I was an orphan. As an orphan, you may be fearful of God, scared he, that he, he wants to hurt you or has the worst for you, that you're an enemy of his. And as a follower of Jesus, as putting my hope in him, I can move towards God knowing that that wrath has already come on Jesus. May you feel guilty, forgiven, how just each day if you lived the reality of actually believing you're forgiven, even for that thing that no one knows, that thing you, it's hard to even think about that you, makes your stomach feel a little sick. Can't believe I did that or said that. Or God forgives that. And when we're an orphan, we, we're alone. And how good the author here today is saying, don't forget you're in a forever Family, you've not just been given uh, Christ, the Lord as your father, but you have been given a family. And this is where he goes uh, with it. Uh, uh, just a reminder to this Ephesians. I think this reminder of this, the author isn't just doing this like, hey, this is a cool way to think about this saying, you're the reality of you as someone who has faith in Christ and is saved through that in God's family is so crucial to how you're thinking about this race. So if you just think the race is getting hard, it must be the wrong race, um, then we're not remembering this. We're not remembering who God is and what he has for us. And now the author moves on 
Run this race. Remember, we're training for this race. God's using these hard things to make it so that you can continue to train, continue to rely on him, continue to go, this is really hard. And I need you, Lord, which just makes us continue to move forward towards him. And then he says uh, this interesting thing. He, he, he switches it to the forever family that we're in. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. This word your here actually in some translation says the, and the your is like a royal plural your, right? This is one of those great moments in scripture where as a, like a American Western man, I say, I always read your as like me, like this whole book was written just to Drew. Um, and this is a moment where it's really helpful to know that's not what that says. Therefore, strengthen your, all of you, strengthen your, the feeble arms and those weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Remember, how do we get holiness? We, we get trained by the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defy many. The author's saying, I need you to run this race. And you just see this suffering and it's gonna be hard, but you keep your eyes on Jesus. Know that God is there to train you and to make you holy. And he says, you're not doing this alone. He says, guess what? You're all weak. You all have feeble arms. Is, has anyone told you that yet today? You have feeble arms. You wanna write that in the Mother's Day card? Mom, I love you. You have feeble arms. <laughs> no one uses feeble <laughs> It's this great, right? It's a moment where you could, we could look at each other when you get home today, look at someone, text a friend and say, hey, you're weak and I'm weak. We need each other, which is why the clip I showed you in the beginning is great, right? But I worry that that maybe is the way we actually envision our faith. We envision it as like, it's me, I'm gonna train, I'm gonna work really hard and I'm gonna win that race and I'm gonna be the number one Christian in the world. <laughs> I'm gonna get to heaven before anyone else. I hope everyone else gets there. And the authors say, oh, no, 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 no. You're running this race. Remember, there's a great cloud. And remember, you're all weak. You're broken. There's gonna be times where your body's gonna stop working. You're not gonna be able to think straight. You're gonna need one another. You're gonna make sure that the path you're running on is level so it all can keep moving. I think it looks a lot more um, like this. Notice people start, people start noticing that this guy is still, the race is actually is over, but there's still a guy racing. And then people start noticing that he's racing. And thankfully his friend notices that he's still trying to finish. What a moment of sportsmanship here in Doha. The crowd are responding because Bremo Sukar Dabo of Guinea-Bissau is literally dragging the brave Aruban Jonathan Busby to the finish line. They are going to finish together here. The crowd are on their feet. Anybody who's able, standing to salute this outstanding demonstration of sportsmanship 
and camaraderie. The tiny nations of Guinea-Bissau and Aruba are being represented brilliantly here by two men who had a dream and their dream was to come to the IAAF World Athletics Championships and as a famous quote was made back in 1968 they didn't travel here to drop out they travelled here to finish their country sent them here to finish and they're doing so a moment of unexpected drama here in Doha Bremer, Sukar Damo and Jonathan Busby to a huge ovation from this massive crowd in Doha have finished the 5,000 metres and what a demonstration of the esprit de corps and the friendship that exists between runners of all levels. How could you not cry a little bit? This actually came from one of those clips on YouTube that was like, try not to cry. And it was like a series of of people, of runners carrying each other through the finish line. I, I love this because if it feels so much more accurate than uh, just this amazing, I mean, Allison Felix is an incredible runner. This is what my life feels like, <laughs> right? Um, and this is, I think, our spiritual lives are much more like this. It also didn't happen very quick. It was slow, clumsy, they were looking to the finish line. You know, we want to be careful. We don't just say, hey, together we can, we can get to the promised land, right? Only, the straight, only Jesus's spirit, the spirit of God in these people, right, are going to get us to that finish line. But this is what we need. We need one another. We need to strengthen each other's feeble arms. In our weak knees, we're going to have moments where you're going to need to grab onto someone and they're going to say, hey, look, there's Jesus. Don't forget Jesus. We're going to be hurt. We're going to have to help mend each other. We're going to have times where we might fall down. We're going to have someone who's going to just run ahead and be like, forget all of you. And we're going to have to say, we forgive you. <laughs> Come back. We need your help. We need to know that this is a, a journey we get to do um, together. We get to strive for unity and peace. And together as a family, we get to move towards Jesus, who's already won the race. The race is done, and he just allows us to come and finish that race with him. This is really good news. Uh, really, really good news. And the author finishes this section that we're in by reminding us of, a, of an Old Testament story. Uh, it's kind of a little more obscure. You might be unaware of it. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. Strong. Who is this Esau? For, uh, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, right? Everyone knows this story. When he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what had been done. This is referring back to this old story of Esau. If you remember, we'd had, we, we talked about Abraham actually a lot in the book of Hebrews. Abraham and Sarah had a son, Isaac, and Isaac has a son with Rebecca, actually has twin sons. As you can see, they're twins here. Um, he has one beautiful, red-bearded, just a perfect-looking man, just a, <laughs> incredible. He has one man called Esau, one brother named Esau, who uh, is strong, he's a hunter. He says he's very hairy, which you don't get that description often in scripture. He's a very hairy man. Um, and then his brother, uh, Jacob. And what happens is Esau comes back from, basically comes back from hunting. He's tired and, and <laughs> he says, I'm the firstborn, so I will, I will inherit the, the family. I'll inherit the authority, the rule over the family 
And he says, I'll give that to you for that tasty bowl of soup. Right, that's a little simple version of that. But ultimately he's saying, I, I'm gonna trade my, my birthright, my opportunity to be in the family in this way. Right now I am so hungry that I know this is a temporary thing, but I just want that soup. That it must have just been the best of soups. And so he trades him his place in the family for a bowl of soup. And so the, the author of Hebrews here is reminding us of this moment where he says he, traded, he doesn't get that back. He's willing to trade it for this temporary moment of warm, tasty soup, his place in the family. He just was talking to us about what it looks like to be in God's family, to be a legitimate child of God and what that means for our training, but also just remind us of how incredible it is to be called a child of God. And I think the author here wants us just to remember to fix our eyes on Jesus. And, and even though that soup might look really good, to not turn to it, ultimately, you know what he reminds us of? That we have taken the soup. He says, you know what? You all have done this. You've said, I am suffering, I don't like where I'm at, or I wanna be over there, and I'm willing to take this bowl of soup, whatever that is, that gets me this temporary, momentary, feels good, feels right, makes me look more powerful, takes away something I don't want. In this moment, I'm willing to do that, even if it means to turn away from my family, to get rid of my birthright as a child of God. And he reminds us that there was one who also was rejected for us. Jesus comes, dies on a cross, is resurrected so that Esau couldn't get that birthright back, but we can because of our big brother, Jesus, who has come, he's run the race. He took the rejection and now we can get back. Even though we have over and over taken that bowl of soup and said, yes, I don't want to be in the family. I'd rather be this. And then realize, oh, silly was that. We because of Jesus, still have the opportunity to go back even though Esau did not. And so friends, as we end our time here, uh, I'm gonna invite our worship team back up so we can worship this Jesus. We wanna continue to fix our eyes on Jesus. Not so that we can run a really good race and we can be well-known and we can have like the most medals. I don't know what that looks like in heaven, gold medals for running the race. Uh, but because, so that we can do this together and we can just make it. He's saying, I just want to see you in heaven with me. I want to see you together in that glorious day when God makes all things right. And, and the current suffering you're in is training you, is strengthening you so that we can make it there together. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's pray here. And then we'll stand and continue worshiping together. Father, you are really good to us. You have sent Christ to be rejected and to take punishment so that we would not, so that now we get to be in your family. You call us your sons and daughters. On the day that we celebrate mothers in our lives, we so much more rest and are content and joyful in knowing we have a heavenly father, a parent who loves us dearly and has our best always in mind and is is, is training us, strengthening us, and giving us a family that can help us finish the race, Lord. Help us look to you. As we sing now, I pray these words would encourage us to continue to look to you. You are good, Lord. You are very good to us.
Amen.